0: Well, I get to speak this morning. I know we're, we're late into the morning, but there's still, sp- still plenty of time to be patient. We have until about noon, and I can kind of barely contain myself. I've, I've been waiting to share some of these things on my heart for a while, and um, I'm just really excited about this morning, really excited to be a part of a family that is willing to do anything Jesus says. I mean, I, I honestly didn't know what would happen in those five months of surrender and to be surrounded by people that I love so much and that, and that love each other who are willing to do whatever Jesus says. He, I just have no idea how it moves my heart and how it moves the Father's heart. And, um, but I've been excited about this moment. We're headed into a 40-day a 40 40 day wilderness fast. I believe it's a holy moment For us as a people, I don't I don't think that means it's heavy, but I believe there's a an invitation from the heart of the Lord. He's given us an invitation to detach from distractions. He's giving us an invitation to disconnect from from things that are good things and some things that aren't so great for us. And He's giving us an invitation to do that so we can more fully delight ourselves in the Lord. We detach so we can delight. We disconnect so we can connect. So we can connect to our family, our, our family setting up a little prayer room in my office so we can pray for the girls' school and spend time connecting with each other and playing games instead of turning on technology and We know we need this as a family, new practices with our social media and technology. Julie's helping me out, putting a phone in a charging station. And, you know, I need this as much as anyone I know. And I think we live in a culture where we're stimulated so much in our minds, we've even lost the capacity to enjoy. When Bible reading and prayer are too slow, we know there's a problem in our culture because we're bombarded by information. What would it look like to be radically set apart to the Lord for his enjoyment? And so whatever the Lord leads you, and I pray that you detach so that you may fully more delight in the Lord. You may disconnect so you connect to one another and to God. Make space for his presence. Go outside, walk with God, partake in creation, refresh your soul, Sabbath well, Friends, this is a holy moment. We're going lower into humility. We're repenting and humbling ourselves. We're going slower into the rhythms of prayer. And I believe this little practice of what we're getting into right now, I'm gonna tell a story at the end of the message, little cliffhanger. You just don't know what you're stumbling into when you start these things. Our little acts of obedience, without knowledge, without knowing, end up, playing into greater stories. And that's essentially the thesis of this whole talk I want to give this morning is how the little moments play into the larger moments that we don't know are happening and we can't control. But I'm excited. I'm so thankful. If you didn't hear Katie's message last time, go listen to that because the wisdom of the Lord is pouring in. If you haven't picked up a sheet, spend time saying, what am I going to disconnect from? What am I going to detach from? so that I can meet the Lord in a fresh way. 40 days leading up to September 29th. Starts this Wednesday. Um, We've been on this follow the cloud journey. And um, I love looking at this image because this is something we never, ever would have thought of. In all of our whiteboard sessions and strategies and panic moments and what in the heck are we going to do, never did this ridiculous idea come into our minds there's a reason we wouldn't have done it, you know. Bring you back in the story a little bit. March 22nd, 2018, so a year and a half ago, I had the most radical encounter I've had in 10 years. I was in Hurley's home with our worship team, Hurley and Brandon's home, and Hurley was there, and I barely got past the doorway of their home as the presence of God hit me for over an hour. My body was on fire. I was crying out for mercy, and I went into Travail right in her living room area, rolling around on this carpet, hair all over me, snot everywhere. And um, in that moment, something deeply changed in my life and in my heart. It was a moment in which the father said, I want to give you back everything you love. I've shared that at our two retreats two years in a row. It was a moment of revival. In fact, when I finally got up and I said, I think I've just given birth. That was the weirdest thing that ever happened. Katie had had a dream the night before that the whole thing had happened and she had it all written down and shared it with us. It was nuts. And in the middle of that, Hurley says, I think it's revival. And I was like, I don't like that word. I've spent 20 years running away from that sensationalism, like revival's going to be a pill we all swallow and it fixes all of our problems. I'd rather live revival than trust, you know, think it's just going to swoop down on us. But she said it was revival. And I started to realize at the heart of the gospel You can't say gospel without revival. We're talking about an ordinary man who got put into a grave and raised from the dead. That is revival. You can't say gospel without revival. And God started saying, I want to take the most disappointed places in your life, Adam, and I want to revive them. But first comes the fire, then comes the birth. First comes fire, then comes birth. And I know he was dealing with something in my own life, but then I started watching the manifestation break out on Adam Shirelli. And there was about 20 of us all had this weird manifestation of fire and travail. And I couldn't figure out what it was, but God was doing something profound. I was in a citywide prayer meeting with Gary Schmitz and a bunch of city mothers and fathers. It was a holy moment. It was a few weeks after Gary after my sabbatical said, would you like to come back onto the city team? And I said, I don't know what I have to bring to a city team, but, you know, I'll come to the meeting. I show up at this meeting and this father in the faith in the city named Michael Lazio, he gets the word of the Lord and the Holy Spirit comes on him and he says, I feel like the Spirit wants his church back. The Spirit wants the church back. And you know those moments in a meeting where the fear of the Lord hits and it's like, You were on your face. The whole room of leaders was down. People were crying. It was the presence of the Lord. And we could sense the jealousy of God to have the church of Kansas City back. And that anything that wasn't built upon Christ was going to be burnt up. That anything that wasn't built on the foundation of Jesus, it was going to be shaken until everything was brought down except what would remain. And the Spirit was saying, I don't need your strategies. I want your hearts. I want the church back. Will you let me lead the church? Well, little did I know he would start with us. (laughs) You know, those are awesome prayer meetings until God says, give me everything. And so... Gary invited a next-generation team, and I, was help, I helped build a next-generation team to bring city leaders together, and we have this amazing team. Samuel Smith, will you, will you stand up really quick? I brought this brother onto the team. Thank you for being here with us. This guy is my, one of my main inspirations and closest friends in the city. His life is a... ...do and will do in Kansas City. And uh, I helped bring him onto the team and some other friends, and God has just been moving. Well, that June, about a month later, I had a city father, another Gary in the city named Gary Kendall. He said, and he doesn't use this language, I have a word from the Lord for you. And um, so he came over to the prayer room where we were at at PlexPod. He said, only have a few minutes, but the word was this, God's about to crush you. Who loves those words of the Lord? I thought prophecy was supposed to be encouraging. God's about to crush you, and he wants new wine and a new wineskin. And he began to cry, tears down his face. And I was like, what do I do with this? And at that time, everything was taking off at Plexpot. I mean, I thought, man, we were just seeing breakthrough in neighborhoods, and we were learning to love Kansas City. And he goes, the Lord's going to crush you, and everything's changing. And he goes, I got to go to another meeting. And I'm left in the prayer room going, what in the? Okay, I'm shelving that prophecy. <laughs> and you guys know the story. A few months later, we go to renegotiate. It doesn't go so well. But before we get the contract back, God says, give me everything. Give up the promise that he had done so miraculously with Plexpot. And we had no idea what to do for five months. We just surrendered, surrendered, surrendered. And that continues to be the posture of our life to this moment. We were looking for a new wineskin, like should we meet every week or not at all or in homes. And God wasn't even talking about wineskin like that. He was saying the wineskin is a family fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that wineskin in the Church of America? A family. Fully surrender to the Holy Spirit. God can trust whatever he wants to do, whatever his wine is, to a family. Fully surrender to the Holy Spirit. And we had no idea what the story would look like or what God would want to do. But we knew that this word came so clearly, follow the cloud. And here we are now. It started off as a surrender journey without knowledge. We didn't know why we were doing it. But friends, I think it was for more than just us. I'm realizing that we did something without knowledge, but the Father's catching us up into a story that he already knew about. He's drawing us up into something we weren't aware of, but all of a sudden we are available to. I think Nava, not just our leadership team or the city team, the whole church is being asked to be available for God and what he wants to do in a city and so I've been excited to share this story with you around the time when we um, were surrendering the Lord sent an amazing artist to the city named Andy Goldsworthy is Dylan Mortimer here this morning I didn't know if Dylan's here are you where's Dylan he's with the kids so we are so glad to have you guys Dylan just survived his second double lung transplant. And we've been praying for your family and they've just moving back to Kansas City and the reason I'm saying that is Dylan is a prolific artist in the city. And why I'm saying that is because artists go ahead of everybody else. They're the prophets of culture. They don't understand what they're doing most of the time, but they're living in to an imagination that we haven't caught up with as the general society. And I believe the Lord is going to do something powerful with artists in the city, the Roberts, with the Mortimers, and we just welcome the artists in the city. So Andy Goldsworthy came to Kansas City, and I want to show you what he decided to do. Okay, this is called a walking wall. I don't know if any of you guys have ever thought about making a 100-yard wall walk. But Andy Goldsworth, this is what he stays up late thinking about. He decided to choose Kansas City. When did he choose Kansas City to put a walking wall in? The very month that this wall started walking, in March He decided that over nine months, what sounds like a birthing process, he would move it five different times. Our friend Sean Cardwell went every single day to look at the wall. I'm looking at David Laverick. He went every day to watch them move stones. They would take the stones from the back of the wall and move them to the front of the wall. Here's what I want to say about this 100-yard walking wall. It's a sign and a wonder to the city. That the wall, the living stones of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus, and actually Sean got to share that word with Andy Goldsworthy. It was quite amazing. He's a world-famous artist. Is that the stones were made to walk. In fact, they went across Rock Hill and blocked off traffic. Can you believe Kansas City allowed that to happen? That is fantastic. It'll find its resting place sometime in November. What I want to say about this wall is it's a prophetic picture for the church. That we have to move even though we're strong like a wall. There's so many things that you could sit and observe. And I would encourage you to go out to this wall, the Nelson Atkins, and meditate during your 40 days. And ask God to speak to you through the artists of the city. Because they're prophesying. Every stone on the wall is significant. Every single stone is significant. But the stones, if you will, the living stones, have to be yielded to the craftsmen to move them from one place and fit them just right into the next place in the wall so the wall can keep working and moving. I want to read this scripture. Obviously, it's a well-known scripture, 1 Peter 2. I've pieced together 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5 and 9 and 11. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the original living stone, the cornerstone, the the, the very center that everything is built off of, and then all of us are living stones. We're being placed by God into a spiritual dwelling place, and we're called to be a holy priesthood. Nava family, in the next 40 days, he's consecrating us to remind us what is true about the gospel. You are a priest of God, This goes on to say that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, to be set apart for the Lord. There is an invitation, Nava, to come back into the gospel and realize every single one of us stands between a loving and holy father and a world that is desperate to know him. And our priestly calling is to act as peacemakers, reconcilers, and prayers in between God and the world. Wherever you go, every single day into your work, you are a priest of God. To reclaim the beauty of every single person in the church being a priest is our glorious invitation in the gospel. And I believe the Lord is trying to get our attention, Nava, and go, I'm trying to move you and set you into the wall and wake you up to say you're Our priests, your lives matter to the future of the city and the kingdom. And everywhere you go, you're a stewarder of the presence of God. Everywhere you go, you're connecting heaven to earth. This is the priestly calling. You're God's special possession. You may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you've received mercy. Beloved, listen to this. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, nomads, Nava nomads, I urge you, beloved, as exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. I urge you, priests of the Lord, to disconnect and detach yourselves from everything that wages war on your soul. Move with me. Be free. This picture of the walking wall is is prophesying to us. If you're here, if you know Jesus, you're a priest. And every stone is significant to how this wall moves, fitted together in the Lord. I want to look at this next um, picture. Some of you, your eyes go immediately right down here to Johnny Cash and his middle finger. So um, for those who didn't, I'm sorry that I pointed it out. Um, This picture makes no sense. And you want to know, most days when I wake up at 5.30 or 6 and I drearily drag myself to go hang out with Jesus, and I don't feel spiritual at all, and then I sort of try to help with the breakfast and helping out with the kids and then get myself to work, and I don't know about you, but none of that mundane stuff ever feels very impressive. It's like every one of these pictures, it feels really random every day, it's just mundane. mundane. But, but I think this is really significant. And, and some of those days feel like Johnny Cash with his middle finger, to be honest. Like they just feel like, come on, that's what I think about the world today. Like it is just not fun today. I believe every person in their life is like one of these pictures. But the problem is these pictures, this is called a photo mosaic. These pictures, they don't make sense when you're really up close to them. And every day you're up close to your life. And it doesn't make sense. But every single person in the picture of their life is playing into a bigger picture. It's, it's playing into a bigger story. And, and yeah, there's this promise of this huge like, thing God might want to do, but the way that it lives is simple surrender every single day and almost all of that time we can't see the picture. Nava's in one of those stories right now. We're just surrendering, we don't know what's going on, but I wanna suggest to you that we may be finding ourselves into a bigger picture, into a photo mosaic. And I wanna say to you, if you're waking up and you're going to your job or you're attending to your children, you don't realize what your simple surrender to an extraordinary God is doing because you can't see the picture but oh, that you would just persevere and you would just continue to give your everyday moments to an extraordinary, amazing, and glorious God. Maybe a picture would come into view. And I I want to look at this next one. I don't even know if this gets much clearer, but can you see it? So Johnny Cash is still in there with his middle finger, but... All of a sudden, we're looking, at a, we're looking at something that can fly, something that can soar, something that can see. And there's a bigger picture going on here. Every once in a while, God allows us to see that bigger picture, but I don't think you find yourself into the bigger picture unless you're willing to just surrender your everyday picture, your everyday moment to the Lord. And it's okay when your life feels mundane. You surrender your mundane moments to a miraculous king. So this picture kind of speaks to me. But I think if you take this picture, let's say this is, you're one of those little squares, and you take that bird picture, and then you set it right here is a bird, right in the middle of this picture. And there's, there's like a story here. That all of our everyday lives, somehow surrender to the Lord, makes up a picture called Nava. And and if any one of those is not present, our picture's incomplete. But then Nava's little story of surrender somehow finds its way into the very face of Christ shining in a city. But we're just one little part. Like, it makes no sense if it's just Nava. But somehow, can you see it? Like somehow Jesus is trying to put his face on display in front of a whole city. And what would it look like if every single church family fully surrendered to Jesus? Maybe, just maybe, we would put his face on display before powers and principalities and culture itself. And so I want to invite us as a family, suggest that the body of Christ is beautiful. I want to show you another picture. The next one. At the same time as the walking wall, another uh, artist I believe named Patrick Schoen decided to put this up at Union Station. So you have a walking wall at Nelson Atkins and you have reflecting motion at Union Station. Now, of course, Katie Egley went bonkers out of her mind in the prophetic because there's now a glimmering cloud floating at Union Station. I mean, we could have commissioned the city to do it. We just didn't. We weren't smart enough and didn't have enough money, but God just chose to do it. So this artist puts this thing up and they strap it to everything. Guess what? Today, we were supposed to meet underneath this, but God decided to bring gale force winds and rip it out of the ground because his cloud will not be controlled. So we're meeting up here. But we were supposed to be meeting there. But I started thinking about this art piece. And I was like, what is the heart behind this? Like, why did he put a cloud? And I figured out, well, no, it's not actually a shiny cloud. He based it off something called murmurations. Everyone say it with me. Murmurations. It just sounds cool. What in the world are murmurations? I believe we're standing in the middle of spirit murmurations. All my inner artist is coming out. (laughs) So this glimmery thing, God goes, no, man's not going to be able to strap it down. I want to talk to you about murmurations. Now, this was built on science, the science of starling birds or schools of fish, The idea is murmurations. I want to show you this next picture. This is beautiful. Has anyone ever seen a murmuration of starlings? It is absolute magic. Just like there's somehow murmurations, and I'll I'll show you the definition in just a second, is, is like the coordination of hundreds or thousands of starling birds that somehow remain cohesive with chaos and form these swooping patterns without being disorganized, but they're in utter chaos. And it is so stunning and so beauty, beautiful that this guy Patrick goes, I think I'm going to try to create mermaid, murmurations for the city of Kansas City to observe. So I want to look at the definition of this. I believe this is speaking to us. The remarkable ability to maintain cohesion as a group in highly uncertain environments with limited noisy information. So God puts a, a spirit murmuration, a glittery thing. And I believe the Lord is speaking to us. What would it look like to maintain our cohesion as a family and manage highly uncertain environments like the garment house or wherever he might send us with limited and noisy information. We're trying our best to communicate, people. Somehow, and they studied this. I just want to read this because it's profound. George F. Young and his colleagues, sounds like a great guy, analyzed still shots and videos of starlings, And they used highly mathematical approaches and systems theory to reach their conclusion, focusing on the bird's ability to manage uncertainty while also maintaining consensus. They discovered the birds accomplish this, get this, when every bird attends to seven others. So the way that 2,000 birds remain cohesive with limited information is they pay attention to seven other people. Does that make sense of why our Nava communities? What if we could be a highly coordinated, yet with limited information, moving organism because we were connected to seven, like the photo mosaic, who are connected to others, who are connected to others? It sounds like our regions, it sounds like our Nava communities. And what if it's the spirit that coordinates all of that between us? Spirit murmurations. I'm in. Thank you, artists of Kansas City. Now, I want to tell you the story of Kansas City. There's some real cool stuff going on. I think we have a little cityscape. There's a God story going on in Kansas City. The Father is longing to have his church because the Father is longing to have this city. The Father longs for every single heart. For every single home, his jealousy is unending to be near to every human being. It is at the core of the gospel that Jesus Christ suffered on a cross so he could have you and me and every person in this city home to the Father. That is the dream that we are believing for. Why prayer? Why longing? Why the church? It is that God might have every human being home with him. That is at the heart of God for the city. And the Lord has been writing a story in the city, and it's been a profound and crazy journey. I believe Nava's living into something we don't understand, like a prophetic artist. I met with a, a well-known leader of kind of a significant church in the city recently, and he said he had had an encounter with the Lord. And in the encounter, he saw the shaking in America, and he, he's, a, he's a Presbyterian, and and he said, I, this is the only encounter I think I've ever had. And he said he saw shaking and he saw house church networks and the church was going to lose their buildings. And he goes, Nava, I think you're going out ahead encouraged, but I've never seen this example. And he goes, would you keep going? And he goes, everything I have is yours if you'll just keep going. And for the first time, I thought maybe we're doing something we don't understand, but maybe we just got to say yes. And quite honestly, I don't think this is for every church. I I think God's got a beautiful photo mosaic and he needs everybody to play their part. But we've got to obey the Lord in the journey he's asked. And just maybe that'll find its way into a bigger picture. The Lord is really doing something profound, Back in the spring, just as we were in the nomadic journey, I found out that Pete Gregg just wrote a new book called How to Pray. And Pete said he wanted to go on a tour in the city. So he's coming October 4th. So everyone book it in your calendars. October 4th, Friday night, we're all going to gather. Pete's going to be here. He's going to talk about How to Pray, his new book in the prayer course. But when Pete lived here in 2004, I realized... God did something amazing, and Gary Schmitz was a part of it. The Lord moved in Kansas City in 2004, 2005 so powerfully, he marked Gary's life. They set out to do 168 hours of prayer and ended up doing 180 days of prayer. And then the baton passed from church to church. It's never happened before or since. And over 70 churches had night and day prayer rooms passed around the city while Pete was living here. And when Pete called me and said he was coming to the city, I knew that he wasn't just coming to release a book, but God was doing something in the city. Maybe we were going to invite the city into a story. And so I felt this, like, jealousy of the Lord. And then Lisa Coons called me, and she said she wanted to share a, a prayer strategy with the city. And uh, God had birthed something in her heart, and it was these three W's, the walks, the weeks, and the Watch. And when she told me about it, I was like, oh, man, this, we're already feeling this for a city. Like, maybe God is doing something. What it, would it look like to see prayer everywhere and prayer anywhere in a city? And could God actually be doing something? And those three W's that, that Lisa suggested, she said, what if citywide prayer and 24-7 came into a partnership? And what would it look like to call the church to prayer, to watch, to weeks of prayer, and to prayer walk the whole city? Me and something lit up, I brought it to the team, and something began to stir deeply in their hearts. I knew God was doing something, and our team sensed that something was going on. A few weeks later, I was hanging out with a friend, and he started to share this idea with me about God moving in the city. I said, did you hear about National Geographic? National Geographic said 25 places to go in the world, two U.S. cities, one of those In 2019 was Kansas City. Why in the world would National Geographic say that? Direct quotes. Why go to Kansas City in 2019 to revel in revival? I love that. We can't bring revival. All we get to do is roll around in it and have fun. (laughs) That's so awesome. Just go roll around in what I'm doing. And then I got a phone call from a friend. It kind of shocked me. He said, I don't know how to tell you this, but Arrowhead Stadium just called me and they want to give us Arrowhead in 2020. And he goes, would you help me broker the churches of the city to go to Arrowhead in 2020? I said, well, f- w- um, what? <laughs> and this is in the making. It shook me, and I said, well, funny that we feel like we're supposed to go into a season of extraordinary prayer that we've been preparing for for 15 years. I said, what's the weekend? He said, it's the same weekend a year later from the weekend Pete Greg is there. I was like, okay, wow. We're still discerning what all that means. So we started feeling like, what is God doing There's supposed to be these W's released in a city. We don't know what's going on. We're starting to see churches shaken in the city. We're seeing, we feel this call to extraordinary prayer. Navas dislodged and nomadic and available to whatever the Lord wants to do. And then about two weeks ago, I get another call. This guy comes over to our office and he goes, 10 years ago, I was hanging out with the Lord, and God showed me the campuses across all of America, the middle schools and the high schools. He's sharing this with our team. He goes, there's 67,000 campuses in America. If there was a prayer group of 15 on all 67,000 campuses, that would be a million kids praying for a move of God across America. And he goes, 10 years ago, the Lord showed me we were to gather 10,000 of those campuses, which would represent 120 thousand young people and their teachers, coaches, and parents. And we want to gather them just outside of Kansas City in Lacine, Kansas. I said, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, we're going to do it the first weekend of July, 2020. I said, why are you here? We only have 12 kids in our youth group. He's like, I had a whole list of people and the Holy Spirit said, come talk to you. So now we've got 2020, there's something going on with these W's. Arrowhead's going to fill with 70,000. 120,000 are coming to the scene, and they're asking the pastors of the city to somehow host prayer like never before and see what God might do. Spirit murmurations. So, this is what we came up with Pray KC 2020. Pray anywhere, pray everywhere. In, uh, in 2020, we have no idea what Jesus wants to do. I'm sharing this with you before we've shared it with anyone in the city because this literally was confirmed three days ago. So I asked Gary, do I have permission? But I wanted to share this with you because we feel like God wants to release prayer everywhere and prayer anywhere for whatever he wants to do, and we do not know what the big picture will be. We have no idea. We're going to have a series of four worship nights that are multi-ethnic, multi-generational throughout the city in 2020. And we think Nav is to be available for all that, but we don't know what it'll look like. We know that these mega events are landing on the city and these are humble, humble people who are hosting them. And we feel like we're supposed to somehow serve, but we don't even know what that means. God is somehow drawing us up into a story that only he can write. Some crazy, wild, profound story. Now, I'll top this off with Thursday when we confirmed this. I'm still okay on my time, praise God. Thursday, this is just how alive and real the story is. If you'll go to the wilderness fast. As all of us go into a wilderness fast for 40 days, it ends September the 29th with a 4 to 6 p.m. gathering at Colonial Presbyterian Church. Why Colonial? Because we're going to go to Colonial after 40 days of prayer and prepare the way for October 4th for Pete Gregg to come and tell the whole city we're doing Pray KC 2020, which is fun. So we're kind of going ahead with a 40-day fast, and then we're landing there September 29th. On Thursday, we confirmed as a city team we were actually going to do this Pray KC thing after a whole summer of crazy moments and wild prayer and discernment that we were actually going to go for this. But that morning, I woke up and I checked my email after hanging out with Jesus. And I had an email from the same Gary Kendall who came over to ruin all of our lives with his crush word. And his email said this, I'm calling Olathe to 10 days of prayer. And it starts... Check this out. September 29th at 6 p.m. starts 10 days of prayer. The minute we finish 40 days of prayer. The minute. I almost fell out of my chair. I'm like, there's no way I can be reading this. I call Gary Kendall. I'm like, dude, do you know Pete Gregg's coming to the city in the middle of that? He's like, oh yeah. And I'm like, do you know we're on a 40-day fast as a local church? One little tiny church, right? You see the big picture and the small picture? We're doing a 40-day fast, and it ends the minute you're starting 10 days of prayer, which means we're doing 50 days of unbroken prayer. He's like, what? I was like, why did you pick September 29th at 6 p.m.? He goes, well, because it's Rosh Hashanah. I'm like, Rosh what? I'm not that illiterate, but I'm like, it's Rosh Hashanah. That we had no idea we were ending our fast on the minute Rosh Hashanah stops, okay, starts, okay? So I go, this is crazy, Gary. Do you know Pray kc 2020? He's like, what are you talking about? I send him the Pray kc 2020. I go, I think Olatha's going out ahead of everyone else. He goes, I have a meeting in one hour. Can you drive to Olatha and tell the whole city of Olathe pastors this story. So I'm in my car. I'm ca- calling Adam Shirelli. I'm calling Gary Schmitz. Gary's freaking out. Gary comes over. And on my way, I feel the Lord says, call this other significant church in Olathe. So I call my friend Dan on the phone. I go, Dan, we there." I don't know how to tell you this. There's 10 days and 40 days. He's like, what, what, what? I was like, I don't know. You've got to come to this meeting in one hour. He's like, Because you wrote urgent in your text, I literally just stepped out of a meeting with our church. They flew a guy in from Atlanta, follow this, to strategize how their megachurch could become a church of prayer. And they were literally bowing their heads to pray to ask how could their church become a church of prayer. When I called them to say, come to the meeting, he goes, audible, they send their strategic planning team to the prayer meeting in Olathe, and I tell the story and everyone's like, what? And I go, yeah, Pete's coming in 2004 and 40 days to the minute, 10 days, and I think Olathe is doing something. I have no idea. This is three days ago. I can't keep up, you guys, with the spirit moving. It's a spirit <laughs> murmuration. It's like stuff is going on. Guys, we're in a Kairos moment. I have no flipping idea what we're doing. Some days I feel like Johnny Cash. Some days I feel like the cute bird. I have no idea what's going on. But what I do know is that this journey takes every single individual in this room, or it doesn't work. It takes every stone and every little picture and every foolish moment of surrender, because here's the deal. What we can do is simply surrender. What God does is write sovereign stories for the city. I believe that your individual life makes Nava's story. And Nava's story is a part of a city story. But we just heard that Lisa Coons is calling all of America to pray. So, what if Kansas City has a little picture in the US story? But the crazy thing is we're part of a global prayer movement. Do you understand that America's story, surrender to God, is like a fractal for the global story? That God wants to do something, but it all starts with every one of us being awake and being apart. Being awake and being apart. This is no ordinary moment in history. This is no ordinary moment in Kansas City. This is a Kairos moment. This is not sensationalism. This is a simple appeal to take your ordinary everyday Monday life and surrender it simply to a God who writes stories we can't understand, we can't see, we don't even know what they are, but we're all a apart. So here's my simple invitation. Maybe you're sitting there going, "I think I am awake and I think I am a part, but I really want to say to you again, God, I want to be awake and I want to be a part so I can pray. I want to invite everyone here, whether you say, I am dead asleep or I think I'm awake. I want to invite you to stand. If you go, I just want to say to you again, God, I want to be awake and I want to be a part. And I want to surrender my little story to the sovereign story you're writing. And you do whatever you want to do at the big picture, but I give you my life. So I want to just welcome you to stand if that's you. It's going to get a lot crazier than this. And every single ordinary day and every single mundane moment counts. Every single one. We have, yeah, sure, we have no idea what we're doing. But I want you to just, just put your hands out if you want to. And I just want to pray. It's simple invitation to be awake and to be a part of whatever God's doing. So Lord, I thank you for a family fully surrendered. We take our simple stories uh, and we surrender them into your sovereign story. We take our mundane moments and lives and we put them into the hands of an extraordinary, miraculous God. God, if anyone is asleep here, would you awaken our hearts to the moment we are alive? Would you awaken us on this fast? In the wilderness, wake us up. In the wilderness, wake us up. Wake up our spirits. Wake up our hearts. And Lord, I pray that every part would enter into the big picture. That we would be a part individually and as Nava of what you're doing. And God, we don't even care what you're doing because we trust you. You're a sweet shepherd. To close this morning, we're right at the end. We want to sing that bridge one more time, but I want you to turn out to the city. I want everybody to turn towards the window and just look out. Maybe you need to move or whatever. And as you're engaging with the Lord, we're going to sing this bridge, but I just want you to pray out of your own heart. Whatever you've heard today that's resonated, to be awake and to be a part, I want you to pour it out for the city. And then we're going to close with the Lord's Prayer in just a moment.